Welcome to Onward, the show where we explore emerging social innovations and chat with social innovators. I'm your host, Daniel Weinsman. According to my calendar, it's 2018. So why is our education system stuck in the 1900s? We've been preparing kids for jobs that were sent off shores 30 years ago. This is crazy. If we want a brighter future, then we need to invest in that future. And I'm not talking about throwing more money at the problem. I'm talking about investing in new approaches to innovating in the field of education. Growing up, I had the pleasure of changing schools five times. I went to private schools, Montessori schools, rural public schools, magnet schools, and an urban public school. And the good news is I graduated. The bad news is I skated by 80% of the time. If this up and coming generation is gonna solve the problems that they're inheriting, they sure as hell need better educational infrastructure to support them in thriving in the 21st and 22nd century. So the big question is, how can we improve education? In this episode, I'm joined by two folks who are on the front lines of innovating in the fields of education. One is creating a technology-based platform to help teach financial literacy. The other is a school board member who's pushing hard to implement evidence-based practices that are shown to improve educational outcomes and life outcomes for students as they transition from school to the real world. The entrepreneur and tech platform education innovator is Arnard St. Paul. He's based in London with frequent trips back to his homeland of France, so he joins us via phone. The other innovator is Jen Close, board president of the Santa Rosa City Schools. Before we learn about how these social innovators are impacting the field of education, I feel it is important to get specific about the problems that they are out to solve. Our first stop, Arnaud. You know, when you look at the education in the world and how, how society is evolving, uh, it is clear as, uh, as the, the time goes by that there is more and more need of an, a clear understanding and a, and a deep understanding of how to manage our finances. So we see that in the past decades where we have seen the, the, the financial delinquency in the US and the UK rise, but uh, more importantly, the OECD since 2013 uh, decided that the financial literacy is a priority in terms of education. And there is a, a, a study that just came out out of uh, university out of Washington, DC showing that uh, um, kids like millennials had uh, less financial education than others, um, than the, the other generations uh, that were uh, prior to them. And that is very important. So it seems that there is a trend of lower and lower financial education, and nobody is really tackling this. And I believe more so now that we have also the blockchain world with the cryptos and so on, that uh, financial education is super duper important if we want to make a real difference for the next generation. 
Aside to that, we believe that there are two other aspects that are super important as well, and maybe even more important. The first one is to empower our kids, uh, to help them have an impact on their world. In other words, you know, when you're a kid, you, you really want to help the world or uh, to make a difference, even if it's at your, at your level, even, even if it's locally. You want to gather in groups and, and, and make some changes happen. And that's what we're about. It is how can we provide the tools and means for a kid, even with very little money or time or capacity, skills, uh, what can he do to help uh, his surroundings? So it's cultivating that empathy and, and compassion that is innate in all of us, but the system, the existing system does not provide or does not foster such uh, behaviors. So we want to be the agents uh, of uh, the capacity for the kids to really make a difference for themselves and for the world around them. And the third one, which is correlated to that, is also the same thing. It's how can they experience the power of giving? So uh, through compassion and, and altruism, how can they provide, uh, whether time or money, to charities, to people in need? Uh, because again, that's, a, that's something that, that kids really, really want to do. Uh, but again, the system does not provide them the means for it, usually, or it's complicated, or even the kids cannot do it themselves. They have to go to their parents, and et cetera, et cetera. Here, we, have, we want to offer them the, the availability to have an impact on their world, uh, give to others, uh, in other words, changing the world, and help them live through their heart more than through their mind. And uh, we've seen that in the first studies we made with our, with our kids, where we now know that more than 40% of the kids wants to give. And that's uh, something that is very important to our eyes. In this episode, we're going to jump back and forth between the global perspective and the hyper-local perspective. With the local perspective, school board president, Jen Close. In, in Santa Rosa City Schools, we have a, a few uh, big problems as I see them. The first thing is that there is a, a pretty big achievement gap, um, meaning that our students, our low-income students and our students of color, um, their performance, um, their educational outcomes are far below average and where they should be. Um, whereas our affluent students, our white students are, are doing just fine. Um, that's a big problem and probably the number one problem. Um, the other problem, although I think it's related, is that our schools are segregated. Um, we have 23 schools in our district and our 23 campuses and more schools than that within the campuses. Um, and there are probably only four campuses that are truly integrated environments. Um, our schools otherwise are either white or they're brown. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a problem. Um, and it's also a problem that might help lead to or, or exacerbate the achievement gap. Um, those are, you know, and actually in general, um, our schools underperform, all of our students, including our affluent students, underperform uh, the state averages. Um, and and so, California underperforms national average. And California underperforms a national wow. average. Um, so we are a low-performing district in a low-performing performing county in a low-performing state. Suffice it to say, the problems are immense, and the implications of doing nothing or continuing down the same path are dire. 
So let's jump to the hopeful part of the conversation and listen to what these two innovators are doing to impact and change the education paradigm today. Well, we have most recently implemented um, a new graduation policy, the A through G, uh, that, that, that brings in line our graduation requirements with the A through G requirements, which are the, uh, the list of classes that you have to take in order to be eligible to apply for um, state uh, CSU colleges and University of Cal California universities. Um, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. um, we are doing a lot of work to modernize and revamp our English learner program, uh, our, our English learner studies. That's a big one. Um, I did in the first year of my service on the board um, create a policy that would help slowly integrate our charter schools and I think that's an opportunity to integrate our charter schools which also um, will I believe uh, decrease the achievement gap in those schools um, that's kind of an overview mm -hmm. okay now the A through G work is where I initially heard of you um, and there's two big sides to this a lot of proponents who just absolutely loved and thought that this needs to be the future of public education and people who are really triggered by this so can you explain to me why someone would be against the a through g curriculum it's hard to explain because i don't believe it but i'll no i, I will explain i think it honestly it's um it is it comes from some myths um some misunderstanding and myths um, the first reason is that there is a school of thought that because not every student is going to college, um, we need to, in uh, junior high or high school, or middle school and high school, start preparing them for some, non, uh, some job that does not require higher education, um, and that we need to start doing that in school. Um, and the, those same folks tend to think that if, can I like start all this over? Yeah. I'm doing a bad job. And um, that's distracting. I shouldn't have brought this in here. Um, all right. Why would someone be against the A through G curriculum? I think it generally stems from some misunderstanding. Um, the first thing is that some folks think that promoting A through G uh, as the default curriculum means that we think everyone should go, go to college, that we're college for all believers. Right. Um, and we're not college for all believers. Not everybody's going to go to college. Um, what we do think is that everyone should have the choice and opportunity to go to college. They should. Have, it is such an advantage. It is such an advantage in in many ways um, that you as an individual should get to choose that, and that a system should not choose that for you. Um, so, the, but the first thing is they think you think everyone should go to college, and, and that's why you're doing that. And that's not what we think. So there's just a misunderstanding there. Um, the second thing is that there are a group of people who think that we should be more focused on uh, career technical education, CTE, or other folks, you know, call it uh, vocational ed, mm -hmm. um, and training for careers that don't require higher education. Um, that pay it, well. Skilled laborers. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, but again, there's a little bit of mythology around that because we don't have to choose. We have A through G classes that are also CTE classes. Most of our ag classes, for example, in uh, our district are also A through G classes. There's agricultural science and, and ag math, and there's even ag English and ag history. So um, there's a way to make uh, CTE courses A through G as well. So again, that's just kind of a misunderstanding. We don't have to choose. 
Um, then the third reason, and this, this comes more from uh, a staff pushback, and that is there is a feeling that it's too difficult. You know, make, making A through G the default means that we have to, at the same time, eliminate our kind of de facto tracking system, meaning there's a low level of classes, an average level of classes, a high level of classes. And, you know, get, going A through G means that we bring the floor up and get rid of that low level of classes. So they're all, the baseline is that academic level of classes. Um, and that means that you're going to have a heterogeneous classroom. You're going to have a classroom that has uh, some learners who are a, a little bit, a, a, performing or have been performing at a little bit lower level than others and you, you're gonna have a mixed classroom mm -hmm. um, of learning skills and abilities and experience um, and so there's some educators who think that's too hard um, from or a that delivery we're not ready. standpoint or from a in-class standpoint both um, and and so what's necessary to make that classroom successful is to have skills in differentiated uh, instruction you need to be able to differentiate mm -hmm. your instruction and that used to be kind of a standard, but we moved away from that um, as schools began tracking students um, and as curriculum became very standardized and, and No Child Left Behind really reinforced that in a very negative way. And so there are teachers who haven't been trained in it. And, and, and it is harder. It is harder to differentiate instruction than just stand and deliver the same thing to everybody where everyone's at basically the same level. Right. So. So there's no argument there, but it's clearly not impossible because lots of districts do it all over the state and all over the country and all over the world. Jenny's knowledge and passion for this issue was really helpful as she spoke to the specifics of the policies and their impacts and how she went about implementing this A through G curriculum. Now we're going to jump over and listen to our nod hear what he's doing. He's working on some big picture stuff, so please bear with us as we take his meta perspective and try to ground it in everyday practices that the kids, the teachers, and the parents will be engaging in through his technology platform. Kids is a currency for kids for them to learn at school how to give, to get a financial education and experience the power of giving. So, in other words, we're creating mini economies within each school where they can start to learn how to earn, to spend, to invest money in impact investment, of course, save money, um, trade, of course, buy educational uh, services uh, or games, and also at the same time purchase goods, goods that have been created by their parents, and finally, obviously, to give their money or time to charity. But always, always, always in an educated way from a financial perspective. So it's not about them giving everything they have, uh, all the pocket money they have to, to the local charity. It is about uh, giving maybe 10% or whatever is the percentage you decide on at the end. Uh, so that's the framework. Uh, how do we merge the power of giving and altruism to financial education? Well. Quite simply, what we're looking to do is we're creating a currency, a positive currency, or a do-good smart money currency <laughs> uh, that uh, enables a kid to uh, have all the tools for him to express himself in the best way possible 
and creating positive habits or patterns that will then, you know, once it is practiced enough time, it continues on even if they leave the give uh, ecosystem once they are 18 years old. So what we're looking at is we start at five years old up to 18. After 18 years old, we can't be in the give ecosystem anymore. Uh, if you are on the system for a few years, uh, then you will convey or continue using the same pattern, even if you're using euros or, or USDs or, or uh, pounds and so on and so forth. So that's what we're talking about here. Um, educating to experience and fun experience in the end, um, new ways to, ex to have a positive relationship and outcome with money that brings more than it's, uh, than, you know, just the bank account that goes up and down. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so are you weaving this, uh, this currency model that you're implementing at schools into the curriculum or how, how do you reinforce the behavior you're trying right. to retrain? Right. So it, it's a multi-prong approach. <clears throat> the basic is, uh, is an app, a mobile app, or it can be a web app as well, that uh, represents a wallet. Yeah. And actually the wallet is, a, is an apple tree you have to take care of. And that apple tree has five roots, saving, investing, education, playing, and giving. And so the kids learn how to earn uh, money uh, or give, that's the name of the currency, uh, through whether uh, delivering chores to their parents or receiving the pocket money on the, on the wallet or uh, doing some, giving some services to, other, to their friends or selling Pokemon cards or marbles or uh, you name it. Right, right. And, and then they can save it and invest it and, and uh, giving it to, to charity and, and purchasing products or services. The, the next stage is, or the next layer, is that we have embedded within this app uh, the, the principles that are, have been taught by Aplatoon since about 10 years, I believe. Aplatoon is an NGO out of Amsterdam uh, that is teaching to 5.4 million kids across the world uh, the principles of financial education. And so uh, we're, we're using these principles to uh, help the kids or guide the kids in the use of, of, uh, of, of the app. And the last bit is that we offer to the school a financial education curriculum from five years old to 18 years old, where the kids learn how to manage money as well. So they receive, I think it's a two hours per week uh, curriculum provided by the teachers. Uh, that uh, will enable the kids or the community of the kids in this case to learn uh, the intricacies of, uh, of financial education. So we really want to involve the community the most and that's the path we've taken for, for that purpose. It's inspiring to hear such audacious visions and to be in conversation with folks who are forwarding these. And for such an audacious vision to be realized, the question is, where does one start? In order for us to, to start all that, uh, we also came about with a, with a concept we call Give Labs, which are, in essence, coding schools for kids from 7 to 18 years old. They learn how to code uh, and uh, make web apps or websites and so on. And they were really needing a purpose. Uh, so what we did was to 
a partner with an amazing professional that are really teaching kids to a pro level and giving them the purpose of coding apps for the Give ecosystem. So therefore, the kids can start earning uh, Give coins uh, through the, the creation of their apps. And, and also, they provide us with all the feedback we need as we create the right uh, UI UX for, for the kids. And so we started to implement that in Kosovo with 800 kids. And uh, it was amazing to see how, as we created what we call the minimal viable product, so uh, we were able to see how the kids were uh, increasing their interest to the app across all sessions. Uh, we had a 30% increase month to month. So that was awesome. And, uh, we were able to see as well that we ended up having a 91% uh, ratio of kids wanting to share it with their friends, which is also a good sign. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now we're duplicating this model across uh, four other schools in uh, Slovenia and, and Kosovo. And uh, we're negotiating with a few schools as well in, to open up new centers uh, in the Balkans as well as in the U.S. and uh, and also Uganda and Puerto Rico. So uh, that that's what is exciting for us. That's the first phase before going to primary and secondary school and implement it in, in the these uh, uh, more official schools that uh, where our, our kids are going. Whether innovating at the local level or the global level there are real barriers that need to be addressed, explored, and pushed through before any of these awesome innovations can be forwarded. There are, there are several barriers, and, and although over, the overarching barrier is money. We are, you know, somewhere, it depends on how you look at the funds, but we're somewhere between 46th and 49th in terms of, uh, of the 50 states in terms of funding public education here in California. Um, and so we just don't have a lot of money to do anything besides what we absolutely have to do right now. Um, and what we absolutely have to do right now for every kid is make sure that they're getting the support they need to uh, learn the standards in third grade or seventh grade or 11th grade. And, and doing new things costs money. Um, training teachers costs money. For us to do one day of uh, professional development in Santa Rosa City Schools costs almost a million dollars. Would, would that touch every teacher? That that's touching every teacher. Okay. That's that's touching every staff member. But that's that's you know if you want to really change things, you have to you have to train teachers. You have to bring them along. You have to help let them lead as well. They know what's going on in the classroom. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is money. Uh, it's hard to do new things when you are just barely scraping by, and that's what we're doing here. We're barely scraping by, and and slowly our facilities don't quite keep up. Um, you know, our, our teachers do not make enough money. Our staff members do not make enough money. We have uh, classified positions such as like custodial positions or uh, uh, office positions that, where, uh, that are just really low-paid positions, unfortunately. And, and we'd like to pay them more, um, but we can't. So trying new things is just something that we kind of can't afford. So, so that's one thing. You know, the second thing is that there's... Um, there are certain uh, parts of school that are really wrapped into um, how the community functions as a whole, like schedules. Um, there's a lot of evidence that year-round school 
is better for kids and it uh, reduces summer learning loss, which is significant, particularly for low-income kids. Um, but our community and most communities have been structured for many, many years around summers off right. or summer camps. And there's just you know a week of camp during uh, the Christmas break, but summer camps are well-established. There are many summer options for this big, fat piece of time, which also correlates usually with university uh, breaks which makes it easy to staff summer camps. Um, so because before we even educate kids, one of the other things we do is we keep kids busy so people can go to work. There, there's that sort of structural barrier. Um, there are, then there are expectations about uh, after school activities like, um, like sports um, that have become really a, a solid and ingrained part of our community um, and most communities that make it hard to say, you know, we're gonna do a different schedule or we're gonna do some after school uh, learning things or we're gonna have kids uh, work in uh, industry internships, for example, that have require a different schedule. When not a school board member, Jen is practicing law. And I think that's evident with her level of specificity and how she speaks to this issues. It's very helpful. And it's great to juxtapose that with Arnaud, who has a very philosophical perspective. So let's listen to what he has to say about the global barriers to shifting the education paradigm. I, I mean, if, if I were to boil, down, to boil it down to something, it would be belief system. Uh, in the sense that we tend to believe that we need a structured way to learn and a very linear way of approaching a topic where many, many studies have shown the contrary, but you know, we continue believing the same and we apply the same thing and because of the inherent uh, habit of wanting to apply the same structure. So if we were to listen to the kids, we would have already changed a while ago. Hmm. But, you know, the, the different teachers and the deans and, and the administration and, and the government and so on uh, are not so permeable to change and therefore change takes time, more so in the educational world where it is so sensitive and totally understand that. So in the States, we've got a lot of... Uh innovators working in education around career technical education, STEAM, or STEM, and also STEAM is a new rising one. It's STEM plus the arts. Uh, there's some interesting yeah. experiments going on with social-emotional focus, meditating, mindfulness instead of detention, and more punitive measures, and then some project-based education. So there's a lot of great work being done to shift education, but I'm curious, because you're working at the global level, and all these schools have localized challenges and also localized opportunities. So do you really think that there's a silver, silver bullet to improving education globally, or do we need to take a more nuanced approach to it? Uh, I, there is, well, it's, it's the silver bullet and the nuance. It's both. Uh, the silver bullet is definitely, and I 100% agree uh, with what's happening in the U.S., it is about... Uh, bringing about that compassion and empathy and mindfulness or heartfulness, I would say, into the world of the, our kids. That is part of the core of what the human being is, and therefore it should be taught and practiced at all ages, 
starting even at four years old. It doesn't matter. So that's the silver bullet. And then, of course, each country has their own way of thinking and their own uh, way of relating to themselves. And so we have to, you know, it's not like the American way where we have to be like uh, big uh, bulldozers bringing about the new, the new world uh, and the new word, uh, and everybody will agree with it. We, have, we want to provide more color than the ones around that. But definitely, I believe we can, and there is, again, that opportunity to make that happen at a big scale uh, to help connect our kids to a more empowered version of themselves, a more impactful version of themselves, where they can, therefore, take about the new challenges that the earth is going to bring to them or the environment or the society. And I'm glad Arnaud brought this up because education does not exist in a silo. There are many trends socially, economically, that are impacting the world of education and the trajectory of innovation in this space. So let's delve into some of those broader trends that are impacting the trajectory of educational innovations. I th there, you know, there are some bright spots um, all over, and, and most of them are about modernizing uh, education to be uh, more geared towards uh, problem solving, you know, really learning critical thinking skills, doing um, uh, project-based learning, that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Um, where and combining subjects so that um, you're not in sort of academic silos, and uh, and and those are working really well. Um, but they are there's small examples of them. Um, there's a new school in um, and it's called the New School, which is like uh, in Southern California that is all project based. There's the Unschool that's similar to that. Um, that that's like self-directed learning. Well, it's more. Um, here's a project, you know, we're going to, we have this assignment we need to get done. Um, and within that, they're going to be writing assignments and reading assignments and math assignments and science assignments, gotcha. you know? Gotcha. Um, and, and that I think also used to be more common, um, before education became so regimented. Um, and I can think of, uh, I had these great innovative fifth and sixth grade teachers right here in Santa Rosa at Brook Hill Elementary. Um, Mr. Cadell and Mr. Fall and they team taught and I had them for two years. And I was so lucky and one of the things they did uh, Mr. Cadell did this part uh, for um, uh, For social studies, you know uh, English language arts, I think and math was we did every year something called a trip to Mexico and we planned a trip to Mexico um, our itinerary where we're we gonna visit why we're gonna visit how much money it was going to cost. Um, it, you know, it was perfect for 12 and 13 year olds math skills. And we had to do the math around that. And we had to do the historical research around that. And we had to do geography and, and learn where everything was. And then we had to write all about it. Um, so that was, that's kind of project based. Learning. Yeah. Back to Arnaud, our entrepreneur and philosopher in residence. If we look at society today, it's very much driven about a mental approach to everything, a very linear approach, a very down to earth approach as well, but like where everything is everything is less important than finding money. 
Right. Uh, unfortunately, that's uh, how it works today. Uh, maybe we do have a possibility and a window, uh, an amazing window of opportunity where we could shift that towards a more heart-driven um, education and, and community uh, thanks to our kids. We do have, it, we, it, we're already heart-driven somehow, but we tend to let go of that way of thinking and of being as we grow up. And uh, we, we do have the possibility now, thanks to technology, to reach out to millions and billions of people and make some important enough shifts to affect the whole generation. And that's what is amazing, and that's what makes me wake up every morning and, and be very happy working on that. I think a lot of the shifts that we've seen in education have been these incremental turning of the knobs. Do you think that to get to the place that we need to take our modern public education, we need a radical re-envisioning? Or is this uh, timeline of incremental shifts going to get us there? I tend to think we need a radical re-envisioning. And what would that look like? I think that would look like schools that encouraged that came from project-based learning um, and integrated subjects and gave kids a little bit more autonomy, allowed them to work in some ways at their own pace. You have to do project-based learning. That There's usually some um, collaboration with other students in that. Um, but you know, not all students learn all skills at the same pace. But at the end of the day, you just want them to, or the end of the year, you want them to learn the skills. Um, so to allow for a student to follow his or her own trajectory um, through that learning process. So one of the changes that we can make right now without changing classes or changing, you know, doing any kind of infrastructure changes is to change our grading policy to be standard-based grading. And what does that mean? So standard-based grading means that your grade is going to be based on the fact that you did or did not learn a specific, specific standard by the end of the class. So let's say, and, and all of our classes are supposed to be teaching the California state standards. There's a list of standards you're supposed to learn in every grade and every class. So let's say that there's a test on Friday about spelling certain words, and you do not know how to spell those words on Friday, but you learn them by the following Wednesday. The whole point is we want you to know how to spell those words. So should you get a bad grade in the class or on that test because you didn't know on Friday when you learn them by the next Wednesday? Huh. So standards-based grading sa says that ultimately we want you to learn this. So a test should be a way to find out what you know and what you need to know. And then an instructor can respond to that and say, okay, you don't know how to uh, do long division. Let's address that long division give you an opportunity to learn it, and once you've learned it, we will say, you've passed that, you can do that, and we'll grade you on that. There are more, you know, kind of maker academies and maker spaces being uh, brought into school campuses and, and integrated into the classes that, classrooms that already exist, um, and those are, um, and those are highly successful, and they're, inter you know, interesting to students. Where, where possible, there is, um, we're bringing in linked learning opportunities where academic subjects are combined with career technical education um, and uh, those are interesting to kids and give them some career exposure and, and uh, career training while still uh, giving them the academic instruction that they need. 
Um, I know here one of the things that we could do, and I hope we do, is to start uh, also incorporating ethnic studies into our classrooms. Um, ethnic studies classes in, in other areas have been shown to, um, to help students of color um, engage in school, um, to actually decrease um, discipline problems among students of color, and it's helped to raise the uh, sort of the EQ and the cultural competency of white students in general, helped um, improve uh, campus culture. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so that's something that we could do here, uh, and I hope that we do here. Do you think that that same issue could be addressed by having teachers that looked like the students that they were teaching? That is one thing that we should be doing and absolutely does. I mean, the data shows that it does help uh, students, um, students of color engage when they have teachers that look like them. And there's a lot of outreach to um, increase the number of teachers we have um, who are who look like their students, who look like their population, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's slow. That's slow to change. Right. Um, so that's definitely an effort in education. And, um, you know, I mean, there, there's a bigger problem in that we just have a teacher shortage. And that's going to become more and more serious uh, over the coming years. Um, but we definitely have a shortage of teachers of color. I'd like to pause at this point. Perhaps zoom out. So much of this conversation has been based on the pretense that education only happens in an academic setting. And that is simply not the case. Our children and ourselves spend much of our days outside of academic and professional settings. So there's a level of educational influence and learning that takes place outside of schools. So what can those of us who are not working in education, do not have kids, do on the day-to-day -day basis to help educate the students, the children in our lives? Well, so there's the uh, usual pathway, which are these uh, uh, off-lessons or off-curriculum courses, Give Labs being one of them, these coding schools I was talking about, and that really empowers them to, to have uh, the ability to create, you know, a bunch of prosperity thanks to their coding. So that's already something amazing. Even if they are, you would be very surprised at 10 years old, they're already able to code and create games and stuff like that. So, you know, can be absolutely an amazing result to start with that kind of thing. So th these are the, you know, acquiring different skills. Uh, and among the skills, and beyond them, uh, learning how to meditate uh, is also an amazing skill, a soft skill that, that we talk about, uh, but that is paramount. And, uh, and then there is the other aspect that is new, which is what Give represents really, is where let's look at what the experience of a kid is across his life, like we say today, and how can we use technology or media to help them learn uh, new things about themselves or experience new ways of uh, relating with their reality, with their with their day to day? So that's where Give is is working on. Where where how do I create a new relationship with money? 
that is not hampered by the relationship that their parents have with money and where they can create their own story and therefore their own uh, abundance or prosperity in, in the end. But uh, so this give is just a tool for that to happen and it's up to them afterwards to create their own, uh, their own way and, and their own pathway towards uh, having a more positive impact for themselves. Every single tech technology, and that's part of also the work that I'm doing, is I'm focusing on social impact and blockchain, but how can we bring about a positive impact coming from the technologies and media we're using? Uh, is it something that we can embed within each and every project that we're working on? And I'm working with different clients around that to help them match this other angle. And I think it's important that we do it together because we don't have much time. Yeah, let that sink in. We don't have much time. So what can we do to help further these efforts of these entrepreneurs and these leaders helping evolve the field of education to make sure that we address these areas before time runs out? You know, I think, you know, just to kind of go back to, um, to the A through G, um, topic, you know, that was really an example of the, a community mobilizing to advocate for itself. And our Latino p parents and families spent many nights at school board meetings there till after midnight, you know, bringing their kids and dinner and hanging out and advocating for themselves. Um, and as well as uh, the rest of the community um, stepping up. You know, like I said, from the Chamber of Commerce to Norte Organizing Project to Stone County Alliance and all, you know, nonprofit leaders. Um, it really was a groundswell of community support for change. And it worked, even though there had been some longstanding barriers. And a few years ago, fell flat. We didn't even come to a vote on it, um, let alone, you know, vote for it. Um, and, and I think that's what... Uh, we're going to need to have um, big change in our education system is that for people to wake up and pay attention, not just the parents with kids in schools, but also community-based organizers, uh, nonprofits, the uh, private uh, business sector, sector, everyone needs to step up and say, we need some change and advocate for it. Um, and when they do, it can happen. STEM, STEAM, CTE, social-emotional skills, learning styles, A to G, college prep, school safety, school zones, trigger warnings, banning books, what doesn't hurt us make us stronger, or is it what doesn't hurt us makes us weaker? The world of education is in need of an upgrade, and people on all sides of each aisle readily agree. So what will the future of education look like? If today's guests were any clue, a hell of a lot different than it does today. And that is a good thing. We need our schools to be forward-thinking and our educational system to be preparing today's learners for the world of tomorrow, not the one that has already passed them by. This was a hard episode to compile and to find the right innovators to highlight. There's so much awesome and revolutionary work being done 
to change the public education paradigm, and I hope that the two voices brought to you today begin to shine a light. But I want you to know, there are principals, there are technologists, there are parents, there are uncles, there are teachers, there are students, and everyone of the stakeholders in the education space doing some great work to change the public education paradigm within academia and outside of the halls of schools. Whether you have kids of your own or kids in your life, I strongly encourage you to get involved and become aware of some of the great work being done in this space. Check out Donors Choose or Khan Academy to whet your appetite. To learn more about Jen Close, find her on Google. That's Close, K-L-O-S-E. And to learn about what Arnaud and his team are doing with Give, go to give.si. That's give.s for social, i for innovation. A big thanks to my buddy Jay Lately for providing the music and the sponsorship of the Onward podcast. Jay Lately is a hip-hop artist out of Oakland who dedicates his time to enriching the lives of youth in Oakland and around the states through his music, through his words, and through his poetry. Interested in sponsoring the podcast yourself? Get at me, dwinesveg at gmail.com. That's D-W-E-I-N-Z-V-E-G. And last but certainly not least, a huge thanks to all my listeners, all my followers, and all my supporters. Make sure to subscribe to Onward at soundcloud.com backslash onward. Find us at the iTunes podcast store or Anchor FM. And if you would be so kind as to leave a review, a little words, a few stars go a long way. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Onward. Until next time, Onward and Upward.